This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the besotted Pride of West London podcast. And uh, we've got over at the FA Cup. What's FA Cup? Got no idea what the FA Cup is. Doesn't mean anything to us anymore. We're sitting here in the studio looking forward to another league game. In the studio with me, Billy Grant, I've got Mr. Dave Lane. Good evening. How are you doing, Mr. Lane? I'm all right, mate. I'm very good. Um, FA Cup, what FA Cup, what Arsenal, who are Arsenal? Never heard of them. Never heard of them. We've also got Mr Matt Allard. Matt, how are you doing? I'm very well. Good evening to you. I'm over it now. Didn't need another cup run, did we? No, no. Why would we need that? No. Third <laughs> round is enough for anyone. That's right. And we'll ask QPR anyway. And uh, guesting for us this week, we've got Mr. Mr. Nick Carthew, otherwise known as Liberal Nick. How are you doing, Nick? Your first uh, besotted podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for having me on, Billy. And, um, you know, the, the league's more important than the cup. Who cares about the cup? Indeed. And later on, we're going to be hearing from Rotherham fan, Mr. Chris Saxon. He'll be giving us the lowdown of what's going on up north. But first of all, we have to cast our minds back to last weekend when Brentford unfortunately got knocked out by Brighton. God knows how. We're going to listen to what the fans had to say in the pub after the game. How you didn't score was, un- it was unreal, wasn't it? Right, you unreal. Deserve, you and we pinched it. A replay, at least. It was a massive confidence boost for the team. You bring in a new manager. We lost our old manager. A lot of confidence lost. Bring in a new manager and it's a spice of life. Bring into the cup. I mean, we could, we, could, we, could, we could have lost sack, today. Sack Very your easily. manager. Sack your manager if you're doing badly. And then you start winning. <laughs> Same old story. Done it too late. It was a great game of football, especially for us. Come up here and after the last I time we played. Him, I said to him, they ain't taking their chances. We're going to win this. And we did. We came up here last time. We, um, we played we played, we played, we played, great. You know, we played good football in the first half, terrible in the second half. And today, you piled on the pressure. And... Uh, 
you missed some really good opportunities. Really good opportunities. To be honest, my two favourite games of the season have been today and when we come up here and you beat us in the league. Yeah, I was. So that goes to show a lot about your team. And I love the Griffin Pub. I can't believe we didn't win that game 3 or 4 0 in the first half. I don't know what happened in the half time. They were good in the second half, Brighton. And the feeling I felt was they smelled blood. They smelled blood. The fans felt it. There was a feeling that they might just win the game, and they did. Brentford will be back, but they need to get a result against Rotherham. Really need to get a result against Rotherham. Because I've seen this slide before. We were fifth the last time we were in the championship and went down. I'll just just stop the slide. That'll do for me. I will never understand how they didn't get at least a goal out there. I, I thought Brighton were absolutely dire. I mean, Brighton were dire. We were making all the chances. We were playing the ball around. We got the ball in the area. It wasn't quite happening, was it? That was the problem. I can't, I can't get my head around it. It's one of the most baffling results I've ever seen. I can't believe it. Well, obviously, as a Burnley fan who has been through what we've been going through at the moment now, you had a, a, an unglamorous team, dare I say it, yeah. with, an, with an unknown or unglamorous manager playing fairly decent football. Yeah. Got yourself out there. Now you come down and you're watching Brentford. Are there any similarities that you see at all to last season? Yeah, I think that they um, they look hungry. I think they look like they want to win. And I haven't been. I've not been to many games this season. I've been to a couple of Brentford games, and actually, I've not. I've not managed to see him win yet. Oh dear. Uh, unfortunately. So it's all your fault. It's all my fault. But um, yeah, and I thought exactly the same thing last season. I came on a few times last season, and I just think they go for it. They believe. The fans believe, and it's got the same kind of buzz that I did at the turf last year. And I've got no question in my mind that he'll be going up. Definitely an opportunity lost. I think when you go to a game like that and you look and you just think how on earth did we lose that game I thought Brighton were being rude in the first half they were absolutely too bomb they were useless just didn't know what was going on we just had the ball the whole time and I think it just showed our frailty in a way that we haven't got a on plan B as such but we're not taking chances and we're not killing games off I think at the start of the season teams thought that we were going to be rubbish we were relegation fodder they come to our ground they think we're going to play we're going to take it to us now they know we're a good team they're just putting everyone behind the ball they're doing absolutely nothing and they're just they're letting us pass ourselves to death which we did really well in the first half but they're just sitting there waiting they were us on the break Wolves did it Ipswich with their early goal did it to us but everyone behind the ball and we've just not got the answer at the moment to breaking that down and getting a goal ourselves and I think that's what's hurting us our football is brilliant it's beautiful on the eye but we've just not got that cutting edge at the moment I thought they played really well to be honest with you Phil um, I thought I don't think there's a lot of difference between us losing the last three games and the, the three games when we won before that. I don't, I don't think we're playing a lot worse. I don't think the chances are going our way. 
Um, I'm not. I'm not disappointed we're out of the cup. Um, I think it'd be a distraction. Um, I don't. I don't think it's about consolidation. We're better than that, and I think we're always going to be sniffing around a playoff place. But I don't think we need distractions. I think. I think we can uh, do some business in January. I think there'll be some two-ins and throw-ins and go-ins and come-ins and nothings. And um, I think it's going to be an interesting January. And I'm. 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 I'm happy still. I thought we played really well today. I feel a bit sorry for Gray. He put a proper shift in. He had some. He had someone else's boots on. Obviously, um, I'm not disappointed, Bill. So yes, that was the views of the fans after the game. And um, like I said, people were a little bit more gutted immediately after the game than I thought. And not necessarily because they're gutted we got knocked out, but it was because we absolutely spanked Brighton, missed a hatful of chances, and. Uh, we didn't go through. And I think that kind of hurt more than the fact that we didn't go through to the next round of the Cup because a lot of people are saying we should concentrate on the league. What's your thoughts, boys? Billy, um, 61% possession we had, but we had 19 shots to their 11. But I thought the crucial stat, and I'm sorry, Matt, I was taking your stat uh, guru hat off here, but crucially, the six shots on target for each team. So they got the two, we, we got the nil. Um, and that goes to prove, as lots of us have been saying, you know, you've got to score those chances when they come along. We can have all the possession in the world, we can have all the shots in the world, we've got to knock them in. The Brighton yeah. boys were saying there, I mean, as you heard them in the pub, they thought that they were more clinical than us, obviously. I mean, they smelt blood and they scored two goals. But is it maybe we just had an off day? It's, yeah, we, we did have an off day, and you know we, we'd be honest and say that Andre Gray had an off day. Um, these stats, they only become stats when you lose. Um, when you're winning, those stats just kind of underpin the reason you're playing that way. Um, and I, I'm a little um, when, when it doesn't quite work, and it hasn't, it, it didn't work against Ipswich because we got outplayed. It didn't quite work against Wolves because they got an offside goal and a scramble goal and we missed the perfect chance to, to equalise in the last minute. And it didn't work against Brighton because they took their chances and we didn't take any of our chances. So stats, the Wolves fans are kind of right at the moment when they say yeah, stats, they mean nothing. You know, It's about putting the ball in the back of the onion bag. But when we're on sole, when we're, you know, and we will be on Saturday against Rotherham, I'm sure. This, we won't be looking at stats. We'll just be looking at the victory. Um, you know, the, the, the stats kind of, they, they cloud things sometimes and they, they, they do confuse things when you lose. But, you know, it, it proves we're doing the right thing. Um, and, you know, plan, plan A is beautiful to watch and long may it continue. So I've got to ask a question. And, you know, there's a little bit of a point of discussion in the pub. This is New Brentford. When we played, you know, Chelsea a few years ago, and before that we played Sunderland and all sorts of teams, and we won in the cup. And when we played those cup matches, you really felt that Brentford were going to win. But is there a case that this new Brentford isn't actually a cup side? Because the last couple of years we haven't done very well in the cup at all, have we? And are we more of a side that could do the league and do the beautiful things in the league? But when it comes to battling out the cup, we're not a cup team. I think we didn't play our strongest team. I think um, if it had been a league game, Craig would have played. And we wanted to try something different with the two centre-backs and see how um, Dean and Tarkowski went. And that, for me, says 
we don't take the cup as seriously as the league. I don't, I don't also, I don't think we, we need to go, I mean, you, you can't go back too far in history. Just go back, you know, you can go back two years when this kind of like this, this groundswell has been building. Go back last year. We went out, we went out of the cup um, straight after Rosler left. You know, we, it was it was immediately after he left. We went out to uh, Carlisle, and the season before, we went out against was it Wrexham? Was that, the, was that the season before? No, no, we went out against Chelsea. Sorry, you Chelsea. went out against Chelsea the season before that. But the season before, we went against Wrexham, and um, they apparently won the battle in the uh, in the in the tunnel before they came out. They scared us. So, you know, going out to going out to Chelsea and. Um, uh, going out to Carlisle were kind of poles apart, but um, yeah, you know, I think we were just unlucky on Saturday. You know, another 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 week we would have just absolutely wiped the floor with them. Let's have a little bit of a look around what's going down in and around Brentford and in and around the league at the moment. So transfer news: Griffin Park, as you probably all know, striker Jurisin from Sturm Graz was coming to Griffin Park, he ain't coming anymore. He's decided to go to Red Bull Salzburg, which is the franchise FC of uh, Austria, apparently. So he's not there. He's not coming, which is a bit of a gutter because, uh, you know, striker was on the cards and now striker's not on the cards. Um, but then apparently there are a few rumours. We've been speaking to our people up in Everton and there's rumours going around that there may be a familiar face back at Griffin Park soon. Conor McElhenney. Who got injured? Hey, That's right, mate. Got injured a couple of couple of seasons or last season, I think it was beginning of last season. He possibly could be making his way back to Griffin Park. Um, so word on the street from our Everton posse up there. So uh, fingers crossed. What do you think of that, boys? I think Giusan's um, going to, you know, he's he's going to miss. He can make sweet Mozart music and. The hills are alive at Salzburg, but he's going to miss the beautiful play that we have at Brentford. Um, but McAlady looked a real prospect. Um, you're right, he got injured for us. It was, it was almost roughly about the same time that Ho last season that Hogan got injured for us this season, I think, wasn't it? Um, we never saw the best of him. We haven't seen the best of Scott Hogan. So I'm really looking forward, if he comes, to seeing him play. I think he's, he's, he's nippy, he's um, sharp around the box. It'll be two short players, um, him and Gray, playing together, but I can see them feeding off each other. Be interested to see what happens. I think it'll be good to have um, somebody that can play in the system we play at the moment, so he can play on the left as part of an attacking three, but he should be able to bring goals to the team. Um, I think at the moment we're just so dependent in some respects on Gray, um, it might take some of the pressure off him. It's interesting to see that um, Warburton's gone back from McElhaney because... Um, you know, it's obviously someone he rated, whether it's him identified in the first place, his talent. Rosler obviously brought him in. He got his leg break very early on in the season. Um, for Everton to trust trust us with him again is, um, is credit to Brentford, I, I'd say, and our medical team. Um, for the player to want to come back again is credit to Warburton, I'd say. Um, you know... He, he won't be a choice, and um, I, I, you know, it'd be great to have him back. It is all. I mean, this is all rumour, and this is, like I said, it's coming out of the Everton camp. So this is nothing being confirmed down at Brentford at all. But this is just ears to the ground, word to the street with our Everton posse. Is this McParland playing a part as well? Um, because we, uh, yet, yet to see Frank McParland 
the results of all his hard work that I'm sure is taking place? Um, is this could this be done him? Yeah, probably. Um, well, Stevie. Stevie Gerrard's on his way as well, apparently. <laughs> well, I, would, I would have thought of anything it's actually more David Weir, because obviously David Weir was at Everton Academy when uh, McElhenney was there. So again, we've got the contact, so it's not, it's not you know, it's, let's say it's not going to happen. Looking else around the, looking around the league, let's, let's, let's have a look at, look at Norwich, because uh, Norwich has got a manager, not from where we expected him to come from either, didn't he? They got him from Hamilton Academicals. Yeah, he's... Alex Neal. Um, so, and the reason why I just thought that brought that up is obviously we're playing them in a couple of weeks' time, and we've had this new manager scenario with uh, Chris Hewton. You know, new team gets in, you know, is not doing well, gets in, a new manager flips it over. So all of a sudden they've got this new manager coming. So a little bit, little bit nerve-wracking for us, maybe a couple of weeks' time. We, we spoke about um, Norwich, didn't we, in the sack race week last week or the week before, and we we said there was a, another, there was a, there was a. A machete hanging over the head of the manager there, and it, it was a, it was a, another another victim waiting to be added to the uh, to the managerial casualty list. So um, it's no it's no real surprise, but um, yeah, I guess the appointment is a little bit Hamilton Academicals. That's a that's a that's a promotion, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but saying that they've done all right. They've um they've got promoted to the the Prem in Scotland. They've lost five in the last twenty, and uh, I think the main thing that they're known for is uh, developing youth players. So um, James McCarthy, the geezer who was at Wigan, he came from them. Um, they bought him for 1.2 mil, sold him for 13 million. Um, and also James McArthur, who his deal hinged on the um, Forshaw deal as well. He came from Mackey's to Wigan for 500k, and uh, he was sold to Palace for 7 million. So uh, he's obviously def got a different ethos in bringing in youth, developing youth, and getting the best out of their players. So um, I don't know. I, I think it's a good appointment actually because it's nice it might be nice for a manager to especially a young manager like that to come into a club where relegation isn't immediately a threat which is quite often the case in these situations and you get a new manager in he's going to be able to come in and if you end up mid-table then he's still going to be able to carry on next year and, and obviously he's one that I think they're going to see as a long-term prospect so the, the good news is he doesn't have to fight relegation I agree, I agree, and the other good news is that he's actually going to have one game under his belt before he meets us as well, so uh, he won't be the brand new manager syndrome, which we <laughs> seem to fall to. Um, I agree with you, Billy, about the Scotland bit, though. I think it is quite interesting, and it will be um, a good comparison. I'd be interested to hear from him what he thinks about Division One football, sorry, champion, sorry, sorry, championship football versus Premier League football in Scotland. It'll be interesting to see whether he says anything about the comparison, um, perhaps when he's got his feet under the table at Norwich. I mean, which, will, which will be really interesting because you remember there was, and his name um, passes me by for a moment, but we had the manager who was almost came to Brentford, ended up going to Bristol City, who was very, very highly rated in Scotland. Derek Johnson? It was Johnson, yeah. That's right, and uh, went to Bristol City, and he went there, and he was apparently he was appalling, and they got rid of him very quickly. And he was out the door. So again, not saying this is going to happen to everybody, but you, you still don't know where the standards lie. You know, going from one place to the other, and also, you know, maybe certain managers are very good at fighting when they've got not much money to play with. Um, this guy's obviously got quite a lot of money to play with, and you know it becomes a bit of a different ball game and a lot of different pressures as well, doesn't it? Although there is, uh, there's, a, there's a few analogies. There are there are sort of um, examples of managers who've been very, very successful in Scotland, who 
you can't even cut it at League One in, in England. Um, we call it butcheresque, I think it's um, butcheresque. You beat me to it. To be fair, it was fairly early on in his career, or middling in his career, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what he what would happen if Terry Butcher did come back into the the the, the, the English league now. Hell no, William. <laughs> he did. He did. He did resuscitate himself a bit at uh, in in the in the Nest, uh, Caledonian, didn't he? I think once. But anyway, you know. Let's move on. That was yes. that was the end. This is <laughs> just a little brief little chat as well. Um, I mean, today there's been news that Ched Evans is going to Oldham. Oh, oops, sorry. No, he's not going to Oldham anymore. Um, you know, I, 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 I just for the lack of, we just don't know how Oldham. And everyone has just got themselves into the situation because it's an absolute and total PR disaster. It's almost like they didn't sit down with their PR people with anybody thinking about this and didn't understand there's going to be a complete and utter shitstorm that is going to be flying around the whole of the UK. They thought they'd be able to ride it out, and they obviously haven't. So they've done a U-turn on this whole Ched Evans thing. But um, I know that you've had a little bit of a thought, Nick, on a, a recent statement that's been made on Ched Evans. What's that all about? Well, I mean, I just think his apology today smacks of expediency. And then for Gordon Taylor to come out and um, compare the, 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 the goings-on and, <clears throat> and what we are discovering with um, what happened, or no, what didn't happen at Hillsborough, but what came out over the years about what went on at Hillsborough. Just to link the two is just so out of touch that, um, I mean, if I were a professional footballer, I'd be calling for the resignation of my union chief tonight immediately. You know, how much do you want to defend and protect something just for defence and protection's sake? You know, so some some people are just really guilty of bad things, and they they need to they need to pay the consequences of that. And you know, for for a football club to 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 kind of to 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 let the carrot what what is the carrot that's being dangled in front of him? It's, it's kind of like he was a he was a mildly successful striker at a league one team. Would you, would you want to jeopardise all the good work that your community team do, all the good work that your know, generations of fans have built up, traditions of your club? Do you want do you really want to risk all that for for one cancerous individual? You know whether you know let, let's put aside whether someone deserves a second chance or not. You know, that's kind of irrelevant to this. You know, what is important is whether a football club will really willingly, knowingly risk everything for for what? For, for one player. And even if he scores 30 goals a game, he's, he's still is going to follow him around for the whole of his career. You wouldn't touch him with a barge pole. What worries me is that it's football yet again, thinking that it's bigger than society in some way. Um, I mean, football rip does have an image problem um, amongst a lot of people outside the game and indeed those of us who love and follow the game as well sometimes. And I think what this message sends out is that footballers can do what they like, can say what they like. They are a special breed of person. Um, football clubs have no role in the wider social communities, they have a role, they don't see themselves playing any form of uh, educational um, role to, to improve and help people in the community. They're just wiping their hands of all of that for the sake of what could be a few cheap goals that might just about ensure they remain 
in League One. That's what Oldham seems to be up to at the moment. I mean, we, we were going to sort of discuss this in a couple of weeks' time, along with a couple of other subjects. But I said, while we're on the roll, we might as well, you know, might as well carry on. Um, I mean, the first thing I'll say in defence, and this is me being a devil's advocate here, in defence of Gordon Taylor, uh, he has, um, on the whole, done the right thing because his job is to, uh, he's meant to act on behalf of his players. So he's acting on behalf of his players of what he feels right. And if you're a part of the union, you think, I need to go to my union boss, I need to act on, I need to, this person's got to act on behalf of me in the, in the right type of way. And I think he's doing that within the boundaries of, the company that he works for. Um, I, I think that flip side though, the latest comment where he's actually drawn a parallel between Hillsborough and the Ched Evans scenario is slightly out of taste because A, the, the Hillsborough situation is kind of like, you know, that is just, that's just going a little bit too far. That is a very, very, very sensitive subject and whatever happens at Hillsborough, um, Comparing it to somebody who was found guilty of raping a woman is is that is out of order as far as we're concerned, and and, and Mr. Taylor has to look at himself there. Um, Sorry, Bill, can I come in there? Because I mean, what Bill Ta what Taylor has done is he should be advising his member to go away, keep his head down, serve out the rest of his sentence. Because remember that Chet Evans is only out on license; he hasn't yet completed his full sentence. Uh, go and do some form of community work. Uh, go away or even just go away and learn and understand about the damage that he has done to um, football in society, to the damage that he has inflicted on, this, on, on the victim in, in this, the victim's family and everybody um, involved and surrounding her. Ched Evans should just sort of disappear, go away, do his time, um, and he is still doing time as I said before, uh, and come back, and then we can have a discussion about whether he's the right person, whether it's right that he returns to football. But at the moment, he's still serving his sentence, and you know he could easily be locked up, and he wouldn't be able to play football then, could he? I mean, you know, as a as a union person, you know, he he should realise that it's, it's not his job to defend every single member. It's about it's about collective bargaining. It's about it's doing the right thing for the for, for everyone. You know, sometimes uh, that he has to say, "You are undefendable." So some members are undefendable, or you know, within a, a union, there are instances where someone does something that is completely unacceptable, and they have to bear the consequences of the management in a workplace. But in this case, the law. <laughs> you know, he is a convicted, convicted rapist. I, th I mean, I think that, and Nick touched on it a little bit earlier, I think there is a bigger picture in this whole football scenario. And I think where the problem lies is that no one's actually really taken responsibility. Um, football's a very male-dominated, run-by-men society. So we've got this scenario where maybe this wasn't thought of. But surely, if football doesn't want to get shitstorms like this happening all the time, Somebody should sit down and say, right, these are going to be the rules. If clubs are going to be coming and bringing players in, these are the rules that we operate in as a football association or Premier League or Football League. The clubs need to get the players to abide by these certain rules that, that happen here. And if these things don't happen, these will be the, the consequences, whether or not they get immediately dismissed or whether or not they need to go on some sort of kind of program, whether or not they need to go away for a certain amount of time, whether they get fined. I mean, I don't know what it is, but surely 
the football clubs should be, um, the, the, the authorities should be setting themselves a precedent as to what exactly should happen in particular scenarios when certain serious incidents happen so that when footballers actually step into clubs, they know what they're getting into. They think, tell you something, if I get caught doing this, X is going to happen, I'm, I'm going to lose my job or I'm going to have to do community service for two years or I'm going to have to just, you know, work as a dinner person in this local school or whatever it may be. I've got no idea. But surely this would mean that the football uh, authorities are taking responsibility over this rather than just say, go on clubs, just do what you want. Because at the end of the day, most of the clubs will just do whatever they can do to see if they can get another three points. Not most of them, but some of them who don't necessarily exhibit this kind of moral standing. What I don't understand is why this isn't bringing the game into disrepute. We see managers and footballers uh, charged almost on a weekly basis by the FA and by the Premier League or whoever for um, comments that they make about you know possible cheating or diving or minor incidents um, and they get landed with huge great fines. I mean this the whole Chet Evans case all it has done is has brought the game into disrepute um, and somebody should be saying to this man you know go away and I think actually Billy you had a good point there is perhaps you could go away and start developing some education courses that when he's served his sentence he could then be brought into clubs around the country to talk to young footballers about the implications of what they will get into if they don't behave themselves. Um, the trouble, you know. trouble is he won't, get, he won't get cleared you know he's on sexual offence. <coughs> Won't get anywhere anywhere near a young person, you know. And but it just you know it draws me back to that football in the community. Every football club has got this football in the community scheme, and what they do is they try and link the positives and of the football club and the traditions of the football club with um, the, the the core values and the and the identity of the area that where it's based, and what. What what this Evans situation is doing is smacking Oldham's community scheme fully in the mouth and saying we don't care about all the positives. We are gonna risk all of that for pot. We're gonna pin all our hopes on someone that we might be picking up someone on the cheap here. It's desperate. It really is desperate. And you know, desperate clubs deserve desperate players. And you know it, it's it's a horrible, horrible situation. You've got Je you know, you've got Jess Ennis threatening to walk away from Sheffield United, where you know because of he he was going to go back there. That didn't happen. Everywhere he goes, it's going to follow him around. Um, he's going to end up in a, with a, the the most desperate of clubs, and you know there'll be a perfect match, I'm sure. I take your points about the, the sort of the under 16s or the under 18s in fact that he won't be able to touch but I think all four of us sat around this table know of footballers age 20, 21 or so who are who go off the rails um, they suddenly get huge contracts, they get a lot of money um, they think they are Billy, Billy, Billy Big Bollocks they make all sorts of um, rash decisions in their life um, I mean, there was one who scored a hat trick at the weekend. Who questions last weekend? Who questions are being asked about, aren't there? And well, I think we've had a couple down at Brentford who I think could be um, considered to have possibly had too much too young. 
that's the type of person that possibly Chet Evans could 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 get into if he were properly guided and properly taught. And what whether what the PFA have been doing to reach out to those type of people, I would like to know that as well because uh, there's no evidence that they're working or succeeding. Um, what I also think is and what's very important is that with football, flying the word around called diversity. It's a word that some people get really bored of, but forget the word diversity. Think about football for all is what I like to say. Basically, anyone. We, want, we like to see anyone down at Griffin Park. Anyone. You just all come along. The fact is that, what to me, what's happened with this whole Chet Evans thing and the way that football in general has dealt with it sends a really bad message out to, to women in general, right? Because they're saying, you ain't really talking to me because you don't really give a monkey's. Like, you know, you're just going, ah, it's all a bit of hijinks, that, you know, he got in there got in a bit of a room with a couple of his mates, shagged her, and, oh, it's not a problem. They're, they're sitting down there, and, you know, I'm, I've spoken to women about it, and they're like, to be quite honest with you, take it or leave it. You know, you said, come down to the game, and they said, well, you know, football doesn't really talk to me. It's still very, very kind of closed, very male. And the fact is that if football is serious about kind of reaching out and giving messages to different groups, they know, need to know how to talk to different groups and deal with things in the right way. And the fact is that, Messages with this whole Chad Evans thing isn't sending the right messages out to females to actually try and pull in more people through their gates. And it might be fine for Arsenal's and your Man United who are fill up, full up every week. But for your clubs which are smaller, which are desperately to try and bring in new people through the gates, you need to start thinking about how you're reaching out to your new audiences. Well, I mean, the trouble is um, football clubs will use the engagement reaching out, not reaching out, to suit them at any given stage and sometimes they'll be seen to be really proactive and trying to engage with the with, with the fans and then other times they really won't care um, there's no there's no consistency um, and you know you know Oldham need to get a grip and it looks like they have but you know it will roll on someone someone else will be interested tomorrow I just think one thing one thing I can't see is I don't see Oldham saying, you know what, we thought about this and we've realised that we made a mistake and we shouldn't have tried to employ Chet Evans. What they said is we're not employing him because of all the abuse and the threats we've had. Can I make one can I make one final point from my hypothetical question, because we know it will never happen. The four of us go follow Brentford home and away. What if in a different life, Brentford said, okay, we're going to take it, we're going to sign Ched Evans. Would you give up your season ticket? Would you go to stop going to the games? I think I would be, I think I would certainly would in this case. I've not gone to Brentford games for less than that. I, I mean, I, mean I, I, I would as well, you know, feel quite strongly against that. I just think it would be just a completely deflatory gesture where everything would just be hollow. You know, nothing would ever make sense ever again. You know, it, it had a 125-year do that was, you know, a charity charity event for the for the community scheme, and you would just kind of question why would you do that and then do this? No, nothing would ever make sense again. And I think it would just burst the bubble. Completely, I just, I, I know Brentford wouldn't do it, so it's not even worth considering. But you know, it's five years ago we may have done. That's the worrying thing. In a week where freedom of speech has become a real pertinent subject, 
we thought we'd turn our eyes to the football arena to see how freedom of speech affects fans and their clubs and the way they communicate together. And especially with the explosion of the internet over the last few years and what actually comes out from that. So Nick, I know that you had a lot of very interesting points about this whole freedom of expression thing, didn't you? What concerns me is that nowadays you have people on Twitter, on Facebook and on other social media channels able to correspond and make their views known instantly. Um, we also hear it on the terraces as well and the thought that worries me is that how can we make sure that those comments are understood constructively? Um, the guy behind me on Saturday at the Brighton game was started, was shouting comments about it's all very well having plan A but plan A isn't working Warburton, what are you going to do to sort it out? And um, there were a few comments on, on some of the uh, GPG and other bits about you know what are, what are we going to do to uh, score more goals and is it all going wrong? And the problem is is that as an average fan we never hear what people are saying. We get the sort of bland platitudes from, from um, and that's all it can be really, in the two minutes or 30, uh, one minute 30 seconds that um, Billy Reeves manages to get from Mark Warburton at the end of every game. And what concerns me is that the feedback then grows and grows and grows until it becomes almost unmanageable and people start going on the defensive. Um, in the previous job that I had, um, we were always told never to read below the line, um, i.e. to examine what was said in the internet comments below any article. But at the same, t but in the end, we abandoned that and did start to look at some of the um, comments that were coming through if, uh, so that we could actually, A, perhaps change our strategy a bit or change the way that we were communicating our message um, and B, just to understand what it was the concerns of, that people had so that we were able to uh, say to them, well look, don't get worried about this, Let's, this, is, this is what we're all doing to tackle uh, what your worries are. Two-way communication process. Um, and again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier in this podcast, you know, football isn't special. Um, it's everybody's got an opinion on it. We can't all be experts on it, but at least we should be have the full information so that we can at least try and understand what is happening. Um, and with that, discuss. I, th I think having an opinion is something that always has to be celebrated. Since since I started Bistotted back in 1990 with Nick Hester, um, the, the, the very first issue I remember we had Eric White ringing us up and he was threatening to sue us because we put something about Steve Perriman on the front cover and you know he got terribly nasty and you know fr from then on in we've had I've had several run-ins and several threats and you know you you've got to take you got to take the the rough with the smooth but you've always you've always you ne well you never ever should be fearful of expressing an opinion about something that's born out of genuine belief. You know, if, you, if you've actually thought things through, you should never really be be embarrassed or be um, be, be afraid of saying what you think. When, when, when things are ignorant and unthought through, then, then there's a problem. Um, you know, I've, I've been threatened by 
David Webb and um, I, I, I was I was I was I was I had phone calls at work and I was I was abused by by Ron Nose about things that I'd written and that and but it was always about the truth and I, and I think there's a difference between truth and um, and and um, ranting opinion and um, ill thought out thought um, and I, I think it's, it's it's a fine line. Um, and uh, as a, as a, as a as an opinion former, as someone who's never been afraid to to say what they think or write what they think or print what they think about Brentford, you know, I, I I've always only ever done it with the best interest of the football club, the long term interest of the football club, and I know that the people who do the other rival fanzines and the other the, the other the websites, they've all got the best interest of the club at heart. And I and I know that they're not. I know that they're marginalised and they're 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 not respected. Well, they might be respected. They're feared and they're not engaged with because of what they think. And I think everyone's guilty of being slightly afraid of people that aren't afraid of of, of saying what they think. I mean, let's flip it back to obviously this uh, this Blackpool situation. I mean, you know, obviously Oyston's having a bit of a, a bit of a rough time, but you know what's down, happening down at um, down at Blackpool at the moment now. He's running it in his particular way, and the fans aren't happy. Quite similar to maybe what may have happened at Brentford when, say, if Ron Nodes was there, if uh, Webb was there, well, we had the scenarios where we were in the forecourt, we were we were demonstrating. It wasn't the days of the internet then, though. So basically, our message came across by word of mouth, telephone calls, leafleting. You know, being at demonstrations, being there and then. So, to be fair, these people could contain whatever was going on there. Now that the internet has exploded, you know, this information could reach the end of the world in in seconds. So, all of a sudden, you know, the, <coughs> the fact that Oyston has come in and he said, to "Tell you something, guys. I I believe that the activity that you have done has has dropped the season ticket sales. So I'm going to sue you 150,000 pounds." Don't you think that's quite scary? Um, it's not. Go on, Nick. It's not scary. Uh, it's just a boneheaded because what it's going to do is it's just going to alienate even more of the support um, if he has any support remaining, from what I understand, the Blackpool. Uh, it's always been an issue. I mean, do you, you know, on the field, if a team puts in a really bad performance, do you boo them off? Personally, I wouldn't. Um, but I know there are lots of other people who would say, well, the only way I have of expressing my displeasure with the team's performance is is to boo them. Um, do you then, is it legitimate for fans who, you know, and we just watch football, we're not part of football, we have never played it professionally, we've never coached it um, to any high standards. Is it legitimate for us to have a, um, a view on the way that a team is playing? I think I think it is in a, in a small way. I think where we can probably have more input as supporters is to what happens on the pitch, uh, off the pitch. Sorry, and I think um, the example of Rhodes, who was driving our club into the ground, and uh, was not listening to people who had years of business experience and were able to see exactly where the club was going wrong commercially. Um, the boneheadedness of people like him and of Oyston, who's not not seeing that Blackpool wants the FA Cup winners, the homeless of Stanley Matthews and whatever, will go out of business sooner rather than later the way he's doing it. Um, 
that just despairs and drives me round and bend. It's interesting. You've got the um, you're talking about how um, Oyston is is alienating fans. You have another person who's Mr. Tan down at Cardiff, and we were down there very recently, and they've got the no blue, blue, no renew campaign. You know, lots of Cardiff fans saying we're not going to renew our season tickets unless we change back to blue. It's all kicked off massively down there. Tan's turned around and said, listen, if you're not interested, just don't come anymore. I don't want you. I'm not changing it to blue. It's going to be red forever. And then last week, interestingly, they had the FA Cup game against Colchester, and only 4,000 fans turned up. And uh, it also kicked off down at um, Bournemouth a few weeks ago when they brought World White. And I think yesterday, Tan actually had a meeting with the fans and I think one of his execs, or he's meant to, because he's now turned around and thinking, actually, maybe, let me listen to you guys. So, interestingly, these fans who are scared, and this is the interesting about some of them are scared to upset him because they said if he walks away, he's going to just pull the plug and we're going to go bust. So in one hand, certain fans are just saying, don't mess it up, everybody. We've got loads of money here. You know, this basically, this guy's, you know, he, 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 he could do what he wants. Where other fans are saying, we don't care. But now Tan's turned around and thought, actually, maybe I need to listen to these fans. So them putting the pressure on seems to have worked. This, this, this is perpetual. I mentioned it earlier. There seems to be this perpetual clash here between um, owners of clubs um, using fans as part of a cooperative then when it's working their way and then when they don't work their way it's a limited company and who are you you're just a customer so um, you know until until this parity is reached where 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 fans are you know well, I think we I think we've worked out now that fans can't own clubs that are going to be in the Premier League and be able to fund millions and millions of pounds worth of players um, but I think I think owners and and the authorities need to work out how fan engagement, fan ownership, can sit comfortably with with foreign ownership and and um, and multi million pound investment in, in in clubs because at the moment there's, there's a massive clash. It just it just it just doesn't work. You know, one minute one minute fans are with us, and one minute, next minute they don't like what they're saying and you're against them. It's just it's just not right. Another uh, classic example is we had Celtic are down for a friendly, pre-season friendly. Was it two years ago or possibly three? Anyway, it was the time that we were first uh, mooting uh, the move to Lionel Road and what we would have to do with all the um, uh, discussions with the council, discussion with local residents, the problems that were happening in Chiswick. And Celtic fans came down and as anybody who knows Scottish football uh, could have predicted. They spent the entire day drinking, um, flares on the pitch. It was a right. It was a you know fantastic experience. And I happened to say to somebody very senior in the club that day, um, "Is this really sensible to have had Celtic down when Brentford are trying to portray this good image of football?" Um, and he said, "Well, if you don't like it, uh, a you don't have to come back, and b." By having Celtic down, it shows that we have premiership ambitions. Um, that person is still associated with the club and really worries me that that's happening. My experience of this sort of thing, and not necessarily so much in football, is that um, people that run clubs or run sports or whatever um, don't like to be told when they're doing something wrong. Um, and the nearer you get to the truth, the more angry they get. 
and they really don't like the fact that the fans don't answer to them. Well, nowadays, again, because we talked about social media, we're talking about blogs, we're talking about the internet, the fact is that, if anything, you know, again, I keep flipping back to, you know, we took it the wrong those days, the fans, if anything, have got much more say, they've got much more power, in a way, because they can mobilise, they can put their opinion out, um, you know, even, you know, you turn around at things like Twitter, which the thing about Twitter is there's a lot of junk on Twitter, there's a lot of positive and negative things that it's not necessarily focused, it's just very flitty, but information does get out there, and you also do notice that the clubs at times do respond, sometimes, you know, positively, sometimes in a knee-jerk reaction to, uh, to information that goes out there on Twitter. Um, you also get sort of websites and blogs, even things that we might do, or, you know, more let's say bigger established blogs as well, um, which, you know, they, they, they may write opinion pieces, they might, might write pieces which, to be quite honest with you, they have, uh, they may have a massive effect on, you know, quite a large population of, 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 the, of the fans or a large amount of people in the country. And interesting what Nick was saying there, the question, that, you know, that you'd ask is that how would you expect the clubs to react to this? Do they just ignore it? Do they start to engage with you? Do they start to look at it and think, tell you something, this could be quite good for our business here if we start, you know, looking at working together with these people. Should we just lambast them and tell them they're all a bunch of idiots? I mean, how do, how do they deal with it? In my experience, what happens, particularly on Twitter, is that um, people respond to positive comments and retweet positive messages. Uh, what they won't do is engage in anything that is um, politely and constructive criticism. Um, and if they do, they tend to just slap it down instantly as well. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't understand, you don't have to um, work in the football environment. Um, and we've always done it this way. Uh, so my advice is to anybody who in this situation, if you if you're in an industry or a business where you'll get praise and you'll get criticism, you've got to treat both in similar ways. You can ignore all the um, verbal abuse and the really nasty messages, but the constructive criticism deal with in a positive way, and you'll earn yourself much more praise than just by than just by being seen to respond to fans who are who are. Uh, congratulating the team on its latest efforts or congratulating some um, project that worked well in the community. Okay, but I mean, again, being devil's advocate here, just taking Brentford as an example because it's a club that we work together with, um, they will turn around and say, well, we know we do also talk to the fans on regular instances. I mean, even today they've announced another fans forum at the end of the month, the 29th of January. If everyone wants to put it in their diary in the hive, good little things these are. Mark Warburton, um, Cliff Crown, a load of people will be up there answering questions. So this is an opportunity for anybody to put their views across and get them answered as well, though, isn't it? Is, is this a positive thing? Absolutely, although... Um, and I actually have attended a couple of those fans forum and perhaps confessed to being guilty as and such is that perhaps we're not um, tough enough. Um, we think of all the questions we want to ask in, in advance um, but at the end of the day and probably that's credit in some way to the way Peter Gillen chairs them uh, and the people who are sitting there on the top table but it turns into more a discussion about whether one should play 4-4-1 uh, or five, three, eight, 
um, rather than what should we be doing about the onions on the new catering contract at the uh, new ground. And Bill, you know, we've been invited to, uh, you know, special fans representative meetings that started, you know, a couple, three years ago where it was supposed to be like an opinion forming and um, uh, idea, uh, idea shop and they stopped. Um, and now there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, an agency, a branding agency working with Brentford at the moment to, to work out how the club wants to position itself going forward, where only certain fans have been invited along to, to express their views. So, you know, this, this does go back to the, the broader picture of, you know, criticism, who, who's to be asked, what kind of information they really want to hear. Um, do they only want to hear from fans that think the same way as them? You know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a perpetual um, career-driven um, and um, very political landscape, even at a small club like Brentford, you know. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's all part of the same problem. It'd be interesting to see, um, you know, this branding agency that Brentford have brought in, um, what history they've got, who they worked with before, anything to do in football. You sort of, I mean, you sort of look around football and you think, God, I hope it's nothing to do with anyone that was anything to do with Cardiff or something like that. Why not? Because if anything, they did a great job at Cardiff. I think we can see that for certain. Um, and we're seeing the fallouts of it as we, as we speak, literally. Well, I don't think they would do something like that, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> well, I've seen some stupid things in my time. This, this is quite a broad subject because, you know, we're talking about... This is certainly, to a certain sense, freedom of speech, but it's also talking about the fact that communication channels have opened up so that people can say whatever they want to in whatever channel, and whether or not, say, for example, football clubs will take this on note and deal with it positively, whether or not they'll ignore it, whether or not they'll shut these channels down, um, which they can do in certain instances, especially if they're being abusive and so on and so forth. It's like, how do you manage this communication and how do you manage it positively and, 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 and where else can it go? What I would say is that as fans what we've got to demonstrate to the club is that we are constructive in our criticism. Um, the one thing that will ruin it is by having idiots uh, abusing, uh, chanting, uh, sending uh, emails that just wind people up. Um, if you can demonstrate, and I think you know, most of the people that I've spoken to about this are able to do that. That you can make constructive points that the club should at least listen to. They don't necessarily have to respond to every single one. Then, hey, you know, it, 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 the crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing is a big thing, and you know, if you're a business nowadays, you need to take ideas from every, from wherever and whenever you can get them. And at least if you've got a branding agency, they should be listening to all these thoughts, listening to all these ideas, distilling them down into something, coming back and then saying, is this what you think? We can say yes or no, and then they present it to the board on the way forward. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, what football clubs, all football clubs need to do is identify fans and fans groups that really have the best interest of the club at heart engage with them at all times and realise that you're not going to get on all the time and then 
work out a way forward of taking all the positivity that everyone can bring and just moving the club forward. You know, and I, and I think you know all 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 well-run clubs should be striving to do that. And that, that's quite simple. It's about communication. Good communication is about good communication. So, looking forward to the weekend, back to the league, back to winning ways, fingers crossed. Brentford playing Rotherham, and uh, obviously Rotherham, like the Bees, came up last season. They did it via the playoffs. Very exciting game against Orient, in which Moses Odebaju scored pretty much nearly from the halfway line, if I remember rightly. We've got on the end of the line... Chris from Rotherham, he's going to tell us the ups and downs of what's going down with Rotherham and the fact they've got rid of one of their top strikers as well. Yes, we're going all the way up to Yorkshire. We're going to chat to our friend up in Yorkshire, Rotherham friend, Mr Chris Saxon, otherwise known as Axon Miller. That's it. Chris, mate, how are you doing, mate? Okay, yeah, good, good. You're um, a little bit disappointed because just like us, you boys took a little bit of a beating on Saturday in the FA Cup, didn't you? Yeah, that's an understatement, actually. We started well um, against what what was really Bournemouth reserves as well, so it was all a bit embarrassing, really, at the end. Um, first half, we, we scored early on and everything looked honky-dory, and, and then they equalised just before half-time, and, and second half, they just took us apart, basically. <laughs> and I'd been to Bournemouth earlier this season when we drew down there in the league, and and they look, they were quick, but they weren't that good, really. You know, I, I didn't think they were then. But, I mean, obviously, I think they've improved and we haven't, basically. And that's the thing. I mean, and, and in the end, the result was 5-1, saw you out the cup. I mean, it doesn't really matter how many goals they scored, because out the cup is out the cup. But obviously, looking at what's happening for the next few weeks, you must be a little bit worrying when you see your team crumble like that. Absolutely. I mean, the next home league game is against Bournemouth again, a week on Saturday. Um... So I dread to think, unless we sign some players, I mean, we, the problem is we're not scoring goals. Defence has been very good recently. Um, we went down, I went over to Norwich and we played well there and we drew 1-1 and we actually could have won that. And um, at Cardiff, we were 0-0 and Cardiff wouldn't have scored if they'd been playing now. Uh, so defence has been pretty good, but for some reason on Saturday, on Saturday we just fell apart. Second half, we 2-1 down, heads went down, end of story really. We could have lost 10-1 really. In the league, though, it's been a bit of a journey for you guys. I mean, exactly two years ago, you were fighting your way to get out of Division 2, and now, you're in effect, you're fighting to stay in the Championship. It's, it's not been all that bad, has it? No, I mean, it's, it's, I think most fans are, are aware of where we've come in two short seasons. I mean, League 1 last season just almost went by without us really noticing it. I mean, it sounds a bit arrogant, that, but it's not really arrogant. I mean, we... We didn't find it as difficult League One as we thought we would. The jump from League Two to League One wasn't that great. We, we signed a few players and uh, and we managed. I mean, we had a fantastic day at Wembley, which is the best way to get promotion um, if if you can stand it, if you can stand all the all the ups and downs of the uh, playoffs. But now we're in the Championship. This is a big step up. Uh, we've lost one or two players. Uh, we. I mean, Steve Evans, I don't know if you're aware, but Steve Evans has brought in 23 new players since the summer. Oh, wow, that's a lot. It's too many. And, and a lot of them are what I'd call journeymen, you know. Um, they're not... I think Brentford have gone about it in a different way. They've signed four or five, what I would say, are quality players. 
they've got that guy from Luton. Is it Andre Gray? Andre Gray, yeah, five hundred grand. He looks good. That uh, obviously Adebayo who played against us at Wembley. We played a million for him. Yeah, scored a goal against you at Wembley. Yeah. An absolutely brilliant Look, halfway line goal. Yeah, looked a looked a class player certainly in the first half, although faded a bit in the second. Uh, so you've, you've you've gone about it. You've signed four or five what I would say quality players that are more than capable of holding their own in the championship. We've signed 23 players. I mean, we've brought in that many loan players. We, we rarely get the same team every week. And, and the thing is that a lot of these players just aren't good enough, really, in, in my opinion, and, and in lots of the sports' opinion. And I think that's where we really need to get a stable side and we need four or five decent players. That's what I would say. And it's interesting because you also talked about the fact that you sold a few players as well. I mean, you, mean you lost Agar to Bristol City in the, in, in the summer, which actually really surprised me because we thought he was half decent. And uh, for him to sort of say, I don't want to play in the championship, I want to stay in Division 1, I mean, Bristol City must have offered him a big whack. Yeah, I think, I think that, that says it all, really. I mean, he was on the, this was, would have been the last year of his contract, so we didn't need to sell him, really, from a contractual point of view. We could have made him stay. Word was that, because he, he had talks with Leeds before Bristol City, everybody thought he was going to Leeds, and then, for some reason, he decided that he wanted to go to Bristol City. Now, the word on the street was, you never know with wages and that, but there must have been a reason for him dropping down the divisions. But the word on the street was that they offered him a lot more. But one of the problems, or one of the, the issues that is fairly common knowledge about Rotherham United at the moment is, we have a wage structure, and, and, and I think that the wage cap in um, it's, it's quite tight. It's, it's not. As, and I think we must be towards the, the lower end of the championship. And I think therein li- lie the problem about keeping Agard. So the club had a choice of whether to get rid of him and take the money and run, if you like, because I think we got about eight hundred thousand for him, or leave it till the end of next season when he could have just walked out anyway. And he didn't really want to play. I mean, I saw him play in a pre-season game against Forest. He scored, but he looked. He didn't look very interested. He, he looked like a, the guy that was wanting away. So, yeah, I was surprised at that. I'm, I'm equally surprised that Alex Revel's on his way, apparently, to Cardiff today, because he's been our best striker, in my opinion. That's right. I mean, he scored, again, talking about Wembley, he scored two goals for you. Uh, your, your, two, your goals when you came from 2-0 down to Orient were both scored by that man as well, and he was scoring goals for fun last season. So it's a surprise to me as well that, um, that he's actually making the move over to Cardiff. But saying that, Russell Slaney knows him well from Orient. He knows him well from Brighton as well, so maybe he's had a word in his ear and said, look, I can sort you out. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not been as prolific this season. He scored four goals this season. Um, the, the, one, of the, one of the issues, another issue that we found in, in the Championship is that the big high ball, the big long ball that we played, the long ball style last season, where we kind of steamrolled a lot of teams, including Brentford, uh, doesn't work in the Championship. It's much more on short passing on the floor. And Revel has, has been, it suits him the high ball, laying the ball off to, to, to the guy alongside him. We han't had anybody good enough alongside him because Agard's gone. And also the, the, the hoof ball, the long ball, doesn't really wash very well in the championship. Recently, in the last few weeks, we've changed our style to this short, tippy-tapping passing style, which is, well, the jury's out on it at the minute. I mean, we get, we've had one or two decent results. 
I mean, that'd be interesting if you play the tippy-tappy passing game because that's exactly what we play. Um, we play the ball through the midfield, ball up to Andre Gray up front. So uh, we'll be absolutely delighted if you actually come back and turn down and play the tippy-tappy <laughs> game because, again, if anything, it's the game where the ball goes over the top and it's the big players that we have to defend them. That's where the struggle comes in for Brentford. But we'll play you all day long with the passing game, you know. Right. Well, I, I suspect on Saturday we will play that tippy-tappy happy passing game because that's the way we've been playing for the last three or four weeks talking to Webley though yeah we've talked about um, Russell Slade obviously he's at Cardiff now but and Orient they must be absolutely gutted losing that player final I mean the reality is that you didn't really have any right to come back from 2-0 down that game was buried at half time you came back and you beat them on penalties just want to know was that match where you went up to the championship even better than the time you went up from the old division one when you played Brentford that year Absolutely, definitely. Best moment of my footballing career, footballing life rather, shall I say. We had, we had a great day. I mean, it was doubly better because um, I used to live in London and I've got a lot of uh, friends and very close friends who support Orient and they were in the other end at Wembley uh, and we were texting all day long as you do. And uh, it, it, I mean, they were super confident of beating us, no question. Um I wasn't very confident of beating them. I'd seen us play Orient twice. We'd lost away and won at home. And Yeah, I mean, 2-0 down at half-time, I thought we were dead and buried. And then in penalties, we were down on penalties. And That's we right. still came back. So it, it was a fantastic... I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic feeling. Equally, it, it's gut, gut-wrenching when you lose. Um, these friends of ours, they said that when they walked back down Wembley Way towards the Tube, uh, after they'd lost on penalties... She, she she said you could hear a pin drop, literally. There was thousands of Orient fans walking down. And she said it, it was even quieter than the funeral march. It was amazing. I mean, Russell Slade looked absolutely distraught. And if you look at what Leighton Orient are doing this season, it's obviously carried on. I mean, they, they really are struggling this season. Just going back to your side as well, apparently you've also received a bid from Scunthorpe from your ex-Norwich defender, Richard Brindley. Yeah. Are you just on a bit of a clear-out at the moment? Yeah, I think I think what's happened is, I think... We've got, as I said, we've got 23 new players. We've got people out on loan. Steve Evans has, has, has always gone for, I, th- I would say, gone for quantity rather than quality. He did it last season and the season before. And out of that quantity, what the policy usually is we sign lots and lots of players. We, we assess them after we've signed them. And then he, then he gets rid of them straight away. I mean, we've got three players at the moment on the playing squad that nobody's ever seen. And he signed them in the close season. I mean, we've got Fabian Brandy, who I haven't actually seen play yet. We, we signed him in the close season. He's been out on loan a couple of times to Crewe and Walsall, I think. And they've still not seen him play. And and that's the prop. I think that's the thing. I think I think somewhere along the line, very recently, I think um, Steve Evans has had a meeting with our chairman, who's the uh, the person with the money, and said what we've got ain't going to keep us up. And I think we're having a big clear out. Uh, I, I think our team, when we play Bournemouth a week on Saturday, might be very, very different to the team that we played on Saturday. I don't know about this Saturday. I don't know whether it's... We have a tendency to sign players always on a Thursday. Don't know why. So you might find that two or three of the players you're playing against on Saturday aren't even mentioned yet. Talking about Saturday's game, mm-hmm. I know you're talking about the tippy-tappy football, two sides playing the passing game, which will be very interesting. Yeah. Are you, lo- are you guys going to be going for the draw again? Because you've drawn, what's it, 
five out of the last six, or six out of the last seven games. You haven't lost in the last seven, isn't it? That's right. I, th- I think we might. I think, I mean, Brentford away. I, okay, I was I, I was there last season when we won 1-0. And I mean, at that point, it was quite early in the season, October. And we I, I didn't envisage that either team, Brentford or Rotherham, would be um, promoted at the end of the season. Um, I think this week it might be very different. I, I Unless, I don't know. I mean, if we play like we did last Saturday, I think Brentford... Brentford might win comfortably. Um, but we've had some fantastic results. I mean, we should have beaten Forest the other week. We drew 0-0. We should have beaten them. Um, the only team, really, that's beaten us easily was probably Middlesbrough. And we lost at home to them 3-0. Although we had the players sent off early on. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, if my prediction is a draw, 1-1. One all draw prediction, tippy tappy football. Yeah, it's going to be a full stadium as well. I think we've nearly sold out. I mean, I don't know how much you sold out from your lot, but we're, it's pretty tight in our end, so it's going to be quite lively there on Saturdays. I like the old ground. I know you're getting the new stadium. Um, I, I quite like Griffin Park. I think it's quite a, it's what I call a proper football stadium. You know, the old fashioned. If you do come down, yeah, come and have a drink with us at the Globe before okay. the match. We'll have a right good laugh anyway. Well, Chris, have a good one, mate. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully I'll see you on Saturday. Nice Chris, one, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was Chris Saxon from Rotherham. Not overly confident again about how his team's playing. Used to play the long ball. Tried a bit of tippy-tappy the last two or three weeks, he said. And uh, no one up front. They've just sold Alex Ravel to Cardiff. Um, the branding agency took him down there, apparently. <laughs> and, um, yes, so listen, what do you reckon, boys? I mean, this cup's gone. League's back. Tippy-tappy football between us and Rotherham. They spanked us last year twice. Well, no, we, we did them at their place. We're gonna, it's, it's Brentford's first double of the season, absolutely. I'm not being flippant. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, really not one of those fans that are taking this for granted this season. But we are going to do Rotherham. Big style on Saturday. I said it first, and please don't email me if I get it wrong. I got similar feelings. Um, I think this is as good a team as we could be playing this weekend. Um, I think Rotherham will go down. Actually, I think the bubbles burst, and um, they're up against it now. Um, and if Evans has started playing tippy tappy football that I'm not sure he's particularly known for, then he probably has lost the plot. He's lost the plot. The question I'm going to say is, Steve, is he out of his depth? I mean, they, he banged it out from Division 2. He's all right. He banged them out from Division 1, as the XMB said. Old Chris Saxon, he said, look, we just flew through Division 1, but now they're in this division. Is he struggling? Steve Evans is a lower league manager. He's a good Division 2 manager, a reasonable Division 1 manager, but he is, as you say, Billy, totally out of his depth in the championship to change styles and I can't understand the Alex Revel um, decision whether the board sold him and whether he was happy with that decision I guess we'll never know Russell Slade obviously thinks that Alex Revel is good um, but to get rid of your top goal scorer at this time in the season when you are literally just above the um, relegation spots strikes me as a crazy decision they had a good result against Huddersfield, didn't they, on Boxing Day when they came back from 2-0 down with about four minutes to go. Um, but I just... 
I, I so dislike Steve Evans that anything that we do against Rotherham, even if we get a draw, will satisfy me just to see his face go even puce, more puce and redder than it normally does. And it's just, of course, on Saturday, it's going to be the comparisons, the final comparison between the three promotion teams from last season. Obviously, there's us, there's Wolves, who we played twice, and there's going to be Rotherham, who we played twice as well. And I think that when we played Rotherham, which was like in, in um, August, it was, we played them, and it was going to be our first barometer as to how we stood in this league and how we'd stepped up. And when we beat them there, we thought it was a really, really good sign. So, uh, obviously, Wolves, we played them off the park two games. We lost one of them, we won one. But this game against Rotherham, I think it's going to be the final sign as to how Brentford have really stepped up from Division 1. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Saturday, I have to say. You know, the, the game up, uh, up at the New York Stadium was, um, was a defining moment, actually. It was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a great away win. Um, we were up, backs against the wall. Um, injuries... Brilliant, Andre got great goal. Um, I just, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't, I can't see anything other than a Brentford win. To be, to be honest with you, we just, we just got to carry on doing what we do. Um, I think, I think the, where we've come up against the buffers slightly is we've been playing when we were winning on that winning streak. We were playing teams that weren't on the rise. And then the last couple of weeks, we've played teams that are on the up and um, or who had stabilised, and they, they gave us a, a better match. Rotherham are on the slide still, so I think I think we'll do all right against them. I really do. And team news wise, um, our new boy McLeod. McLeod is uh, he's not the, he's not in the squad this weekend because uh, he's injured. He got injured in training. So unfortunately, our boy from Rangers. Will not be seen. Football league, but Pritchard's well, back, and also Button's back this weekend as well. So you know, as we said, we're going to be close as, as much as possible to, to full strength. Were we expecting McLeod to start this season? I thought he was. I thought he was bought as really one to bring on for the start of next season when we're in the Premiership, isn't he? But um, you know, uh, do we need another midfielder to play? You know, do we need another midfielder? Playing now, I think we've got enough, you know, on the field and on the bench and midfielders. Um, please, let's in the next 24 hours, let's hear something. And uh, I wouldn't expect to start Saturday, but please let's hear something about another forward. That's who we need. Yes, indeed. So, listen, boys, we're going to wrap this up now. We're going to go around the table as we do. Let's just flip back to last week because I don't think any of us actually got the score prediction right last week, did we? You, you didn't, Bill. No, I no, I didn't. No, I got it completely right. I said three 0 I think, to the beast. Um, I think we were all well and truly off the mark. But let's go around the table this time to see what you think the score prediction is going to be, Mister Lane. Four one Brentford. Nick. Two 0 Brentford. Mister Allard. Three 0 to the bees. And I'm going to go five 0 Brentford. <laughs> Listen. You got to go there sometime, didn't you? So listen, boys. Good chat today. Nice bit of chinwag. We're going to wrap it up in this Pride of West London podcast. We've got Rother on Saturday, so hopefully we'll get the three points and smack a lot of goals in. Get our goal difference back up there. This is me, Billy Grant, been chatting to you with Mr. Dave Lane, Matt Allard, Nick Carthew, and from Rotherham, Chris Saxon. You can check us out on www.besotted.co.uk. 
audio boom, you can get our podcast. Just check out Besotted and also YouTube, Besotted1992. We're the bees. We're back in the league. We're going up the league. <laughs> you bees. You bees. We're the back of the league. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.